This episode of Popcorn Poops is brought to you by Audible.com. Please visit audibletrial.com slash popcornpoops for a 30-day trial of their audiobook subscription service. When you sign up, you'll even receive a free audiobook that's yours to keep whether or not you continue with Audible after your trial has expired. That's audibletrial.com slash popcornpoops for your free audiobook. We are the Popcorn Poops. Welcome to Popcorn Poops, the best married couple movie podcast slash commentary track hybrid audio program on the internet. My name is Dustin, and with me is Jessica. She's my wife. Hi, wife. Uh, Hi. How are you doing? I'm good. How has your week been? Well, I'm halfway through my graduate program now. Congratulations. Classes, Classes are officially over. I mean, I haven't actually turn in my finals yet well then you're not done whatever so stop 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 acting like you're 49 percent of the way through <sighs> through your graduate program yes yeah i guess so how are you feeling about it um but the graduate program awesome i'm feeling more awesome though about my new job where i am a reporter now. oh i get to say that oh my gosh you're like april o'neill that's where you go to played by megan fox I was going for more like a Lois Lane, but I mean that's that's, that's cool. That's fine too, but um, don't be surprised when I buy you a yellow jumpsuit for your birthday <laughs> next year, or Christmas, maybe early Christmas, Christmas in May. Yeah, <laughs> looking forward to it. That'll be fun. Oh, fun. <laughs> As always, you can find us on our website at popcornpoops.com. You can subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher. That's where you can get the show. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook, where you can get updates about the show, including our weekly movie still identification game, which is a whole hell of a lot of fun if you want to try that on for size. We also have individual, uh, personal Twitter accounts. I am at Dusty Cram Cram. I am at J Casper Kramer. We also have a shop, a uh, merch shop on our website where you can buy some t-shirts and buttons. We got a tote bag on there. Tote Thinking bag. about in some dope. I'm thinking about putting some other stuff uh, on there as well. Let us know what you would like to see on the merch shop. That would be uh, that would be good to get some uh, some uh, feedback on that. Uh, and if you're into just you know giving strangers money like straight up cold hard cash, we do have a donate button, not a donut button, but a <laughs> donate. We I, have did, a, I did say donut. You last. did once upon a time. You did say a donut <laughs> button. Sorry. We have a donate button on the website where you can do just that. This month. Our theme is hashtag 1987 month in honor of uh, my sweet Jessica's birthday that passed a couple of weeks ago on April 14th. And uh, this week, we're wrapping up the, the month. We're wrapping up the theme with Paul Verhoeven's 1987 film, RoboCop. And uh, if you want to sync this episode of the podcast up to the movie, as you can do with all of our episodes of the podcast, uh, go ahead and start the film and then press pause as soon as the vanity card for Orion Pictures that says an Orion Pictures release, as soon as that fades to black completely, hit the pause button. While you're finding that spot, I believe Jessica has a review to read from Stitcher, right? Uh, Yeah. Okay. Uh, and it's from Joachim, is that right? That that would be Joachim. 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 Shit. <laughs> Joachim. Sorry, Joachim. It took us a while to, to learn how to pronounce your name, but I figured it out, and I believe it's Joachim. If, I didn't, be clearly. If, okay. If he's a, he's been a longtime listener. He's followed me all the way since I was on the Animatics Anonymous podcast. Uh, if we're pronouncing your name wrong, please correct us once and for all, but I'm pretty sure it's Joachim. I'm, I'm feeling I'm feeling confident about it. 
I, I mean, we are stupid Americans who <laughs> pronounce, <laughs> pronounce any name that's not American right. wrong. Uh, the Viking, as tagged. Ah, Joachim the Viking, right. indeed. Um, and the title is My Favorite Movie Buddies. Each week, Dustin and Jessica provide their audience with fun, quirky commentary and in-depth discussions about movies. With a ton of notes, knowledge, and love of cinema, they make each episode educational and entertaining. Thank you very much, Joachim. I really appreciate that. If you would like to leave a a uh, rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher and or Stitcher. You can do both if you want to. We will read the review on the podcast uh, regardless of the star rating. However, we do like five stars. We do like five stars. But you know what we and like? And that was a five star. It was a five star. Do you know what, what we like more than five star reviews? We like something more than five star reviews. We like honesty. So. Oh. So be honest. Give us your honest review. But also be aware that five stars make us so happy. <laughs> so so creepy happy all right are you ready to are you ready to watch this movie i guess so all right sinkers press play at the beep after the countdown ready three two one and we're off with paul verhoven's 1987 film robocop i love that there's no opening credits there's just robocop just robocop nobody above the title no there's no above the title billing nothing like that no one is superior to robocop no is one's that better. what we're saying that's right robocop i mean he, he might as well be robo robo christ really robo Let, christ let's okay. be honest i mean he did die for our sins and true, was resurrected true. that's true uh, to to kick ass uh so yeah no one's better than robocop and that's why no one gets above the title billing no one at all <laughs> Uh, this is uh, kind of a stalwart of Paul Verhoeven's films, especially his more his satirical films. Um, a lot of Verhoeven's German films, the films he made in his his home country, are uh, not super satirical. They're actually quite quite serious. Black Book comes to mind. Um, so you're you're talking about the media stuff that he does in this? Yeah, the uh, the newscast, the fake newscast, and the kind of stuff he talks about, like you know, nuclear war coming to South right. Africa, and the nuclear war will be spearheaded by a neutron bomb made by France. My favorite, my favorite one of these like little inserts in this movie where we sort of do like some. TV commercials or some news media or whatever. Um, my favorite one is when they do the commercial for the the board game, and that's way later. So we'll talk about that when that comes up. But I that, said Paul Verhoeven was from Germany, and that's dead wrong. He's he's from the Netherlands. <laughs> I don't know what man, I was thinking. Just, we're just I'm fucking, fucking up all over the place. Today. From his his yes, that's right. His films that he made in the Netherlands uh, are. Uh, as I understand it, all not not satirical like Robocop, like Total Recall, like Starship Troopers. I mean, that's that's kind of um, his bread and butter um, as far as American Hollywood films go. And this is no exception. This is kind of a, a spectacular, satirical, uh, prescient in some ways, uh, sci-fi. Uh, I would dare I would dare say masterwork, a masterpiece of this particular. Genre, sub 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 genre. Yeah. What is this a sub 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 genre of? What is this exactly? Well, it would be it's it's um, sci-fi. It's dystopic sci-fi satire. So it's kind of pretty specific. Okay. I think. What would you What would you put this as? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I think more about 
robots and police procedural stuff than I. I mean, of, of course, it's playing around with those tropes. Absolutely, like it's 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 playing around with those rules. But it's, I guess in a in a more broad sense, what the what the as far as its goals as a movie are, I feel like you can pretty firmly place it in a like dystopic sci-fi satire. It's I mean it is it's it's satire. This movie's funny. It really takes the piss out of the police procedural for one. Like, yeah, no, I think that's true. The idea of the true. police procedural is is kind of shit upon, so to speak, in this movie. Um, if I had one criticism of this movie, um, it wouldn't have been something that was really criticized at the time, so it would have to be extraordinarily prescient. I think that this is something they should have probably touched on a little bit more in the remake in 2014, but they didn't, didn't really. And that is more of a criticism of the police force. Mm. The police force in this movie is corrupt, but only by, the na- by nature of being owned by Omnicorp, by corrupt people. Mm -hmm. But the police themselves uh, are not necessarily corrupt. Like, they're all hardworking, good... We don't see a bad cop in the bunch. Right, yeah. Um, The worst thing that we see from the cops is... And uh, we even see pretty, like, um, you know, we just saw a bunch of women there naked with the men, and it's pretty, like, not sexist, too, in this police force. Well, it's very egalitarian. Mm -hmm. This this uh, This is Paul Verhoeven's idea of uh, his weirdly egalitarian dystopia with co-ed lockers. That's how he imparts that information. Mm-hmm. Um, here's a thread that kind of doesn't go anywhere. This is um, uh, this is a an officer getting not fired. Is he fired? I don't know. He's, stri- he's trying to set up a strike. The officer that's leaving and this officer is in here, other officers in here packing up his locker. Well, they, um, and he said that police officers what, don't the officer, strike. The officer that's leaving, that's not why they're packing up the locker. Oh, what, what? Because I think it's a, it's a dead guy. It's a dead officer. Oh, is it? Oh, yeah, okay. they talked about some dead officers. Oh, earlier. okay. I this, thought that. I, but the guy who was talking about striking is in here, and they and they do talk about striking. But it does kind of come around again at the very end of the movie when um, when his partner shows up, when RoboCop's partner shows up at the very end before his Lewis. final his final showdown, yeah. and she says that all the officers are on strike. Oh, okay. And that the ones who are that the ones who aren't are leaving that day or whatever. It's like corrupt city, and it must have been. I think it's after the scene where they like fire on him and stuff. So it's yeah, it is. Okay. So they go on strike after they're forced to shoot Robocop. Okay, I don't I don't know why I felt like those things were 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 connected. I guess they got conflated in my mind somehow between last night when we watched that and today when I was finishing up. I like this character. I like Lewis. Oh, played by Nancy Allen, who's very, very much playing against type. Uh, Nancy Allen, of course, kind of known as an 80s starlet for being in um, things. She was in Carrie. She was in uh, Blowout, which is a great Brian De Palma film. Um, yeah, Who was she, she in Carrie? Oh, what was her character's name in Carrie? She was... Um, oh, shit. I can't remember her character's name. Chris? She was Chris? Which is the one who was one of the other girls in the high school? That's what I'm trying to get. Yes, out of you. she. Oh, yeah, she was one of the other girls in the high school. I think she was the one that was like nice to Carrie for mm. a while. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's been a it's been a while. She did. She worked with Brian De Palma twice at least. It looks like because of course she was in Carrie and Blowout. Um, 
But yeah, very much playing against type, having her hair cut really short in this movie, mm-hmm. being introduced to her as a badass who just kicks fucking ass. And then she kind of disappears from the movie for a while, and that kind of sucks a little bit. Yeah. I'm, I mean, obviously from... I, it's probably apparent in my tone. I would guess from people who are longtime listeners, you would be able to guess from just my tone and the amount of talking that I've done so far that I'm not super crazy about this movie. I know. Um, I know. And I don't. And, the and thing you know is, what? That's, I don't you know really what? have it's, like that's a fine. reason. Nobody's perfect. Oh I mean, that's God. That's totally okay for you to be imperfect in this particular way that you don't Such love asshole. RoboCop like your firstborn child. Uh huh. Yeah. I'm. The thing is, is I don't have like. I don't know. I just being completely honest, besides before like besides the research for this podcast, I've only seen this movie once and that was not that long ago, maybe a, a couple or a few years ago and you had me watch it. Yeah. Um and that was the first time I had seen it and and I don't know. I just I thought maybe when I watched it again that I'd feel like I'd come away with a different feeling than the feeling I had after the first time we watched it and I just really didn't and that feeling is still it's hard to pinpoint exactly but I'm just I don't know I'm just not totally in love with the aesthetic of the film I'm not and, really? and, and I'm not saying like it does a bad job at what it does because it does I see all the pieces working and I know it's doing a good job at the things it's trying to do but I don't come away with a with a good feeling and and it's not like a a good feeling like they did a bad job again it's just is like the movie not hopeful enough or something? No, no, or? it's not that. And I, I just don't like the way it looks. I don't like the way it sounds. I don't like. I kind of like, like. I kind of like that. Like I, 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 I think I see what you're saying. Do you feel like the movie is gray or? It is. I mean, and I know cold, again, it's the intention. Desaturated. I mean, I know it's the intention, but yeah, I mean, but it absolutely I don't, is. I don't. I just typically don't like levitate toward movies that feel that way or games either gravitate Gravitate, sorry um or i mean take again another really great example of this is my taste in video games i have never been able to get into fallout as much as i love bethesda as much as i love them so hard you um, love skyrim i love skyrim yeah um you can say you love bethesda that's fine but you really just love skyrim um but which is fine. Skyrim, I think Skyrim right. what, is. What I think Skyrim I'm, is I'm probably saying, the best game they've made. I, I didn't like any of the other Elder Scrolls and I've games. Played, I've played a little bit of the other Elder Scrolls games. Yeah, I don't care for them. Skyrim is the first one that I felt didn't feel broken. But and I and I put good. I think we've probably talked about this before. But I put sincere effort into trying to get into Fallout. I mean, a good 30, 40 hours or so. But it's that aesthetic. And it's just that aesthetic. I, I just can't get past it. I. I, I just don't I don't come away thinking to myself oh I just want to live here longer I want to keep going back to this I just come away kind of not feeling good and that's sort of how this movie makes me feel everything's dirty and ugly and gray cold kind of like the Mad Max uh, the original wow where everything is desaturated but in a different way where mm-hmm. it's all instead of being all cold it's all warm yeah yeah same way with Mad Max I get you no I, I get you I, I do love the look of have this movie have we done Mad Max yeah yeah, yeah, yeah so I talked absolutely. about it on there then um, I love Paul Verhoeven's world building I love how he creates his world because we're not that far into this movie we're just a few minutes in and I think that that 
he shows a real proficiency with showing the socio-political machinations on a really broad scale and on a personal level. You know, we've got three stories that kind of converge in this movie. We've got the story at the police station that we've already seen set up. We've got the story at uh, OCP, at Omnicorp, that we're seeing set up right now with Ed 209 and these kind of uh, money-hungry corporate mm-hmm. fat cat guys that we learn are kind of controlling the police station. Yeah. And then they're also working with the third storyline, which is the story of Clarence Boddicker and his, you know, crime, which is kind of a, a, a microcosm for the crime that's happening in the city at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of this happens in Detroit, which we know um, was, I mean, in a much better situation in 1987 than it is in today. So in that way, you can you can say, wow, like this this movie that kind of pre- predicts this crime ridden future dystopia for Detroit wasn't really wrong. Right. You know? <laughs> We've got this gloriously yeah. gory death. Now, this, where is, Ed this is my favorite stuff in this movie. Blows this guy away. My favorite stuff are are just just the robot stuff. I love all the stuff with the robots. I love the way that Robocop looks. Um and then and then I love when they're building him. This is the greatest line in the entire fucking movie when when they just see this guy get blown to almost literal pieces and they yell, somebody wanna call a goddamn paramedic <laughs> And it's like, like really? it's like a distance. I love like the the distance from the mic that the call is made to. He's yeah. like, I don't know. It's like I'll, just someone in the background. Uh-huh. Someone call a paramedic. Yeah. <laughs> like it's a it's a punchline. That that is how that's set up. It's not set up like a sincere line. That is a fucking punchline, and I love it. Uh, there are a couple of really great lines in this movie, but that's definitely my favorite. And I do I do love you know um, the gore in this movie. There's not enough of it for me, honestly. Um, which, which I mean, maybe you're you're sitting there shaking your head, but like I I know there is some gore in this movie. The middle of this movie just is a dark hole for me. Every time I think about this movie, even after having watched it for notes just last night too, um, I'm always like, what happens in the middle? Of, like I remember. You know, he gets shot by the guys and stuff, and then he starts to work for the police. And I remember the big blowout at the end, but what the fuck happens in the middle of this movie? Um, uh, well, I mean, the middle of this movie is af- after he becomes RoboCop, and we get the montage of him cleaning up shit in the city. Yeah, and the then middle he looks the for mo- his family, well, and yeah, then the, he finds the pieces. Right, the and- middle of the movie is, is kind of him discovering... Um, you know, that his family is gone or that he had a family and they're, I guess they're not in the house when he goes to see them. No, they're not. Where are they? They've moved They've away. Moved, they moved away because he's over. dead. Yeah, they started over. So, um, so he goes and he learns about his family and then he also learns about his own death at the hands of Clarence Boddicker. And at the same time, we as an audience are learning about uh, the criminal's connection with Omnicorp. Mm-hmm. Um, so like they're they're basically tying these three threads together. I, I mean, I think that, that the biggest weakness of this movie, like I said, you know, I talked about. Um, how this movie doesn't really criticize the police force necessarily. They're more of a uh, kind of an incidental victim in all this, an incident, mm-hmm. incidental victim of uh, of corruption as opposed to being uh, innately corrupt themselves. Um, and I 
think that there's actually like narrative threads that kind of get dropped in this. Like I said, Nancy Allen's character, Lewis here, she kind of disappears for a while. Yeah, for most of the movie. They, they talk about the police going on strike and they don't really do anything with that until the very end of the movie. You know, I think the police force itself, despite being... And I'm still being honest, like I'm still not 100% sure about, about the relationship and everything with them too, because I mean, I know she feels deeply committed to him, but it, because she's kind of the reason why he dies um yeah but but i like it's her for the first time she's met him and then like you know I, I feel like there's so much more connection that we just buy at the end of the movie than i feel like is really there i don't know i don't know there's just i i always when i watch this movie i always want to see him with his family I always want to see him go back to his wife and kid. Like, I want to see that relationship and yeah. something happen. Because that's what's more important. Like, that's way oh more God. important. Maybe you would like the remake. I think you might like the remake, which is gross. <laughs> I, the, the thing that the remake doesn't understand is that this is first and foremost satire. That is what it is, is it's taking the piss out of all of these tropes that it's playing with. I mean, these guys never reload these shotguns and they shoot the motherfuck out of them. It's also that's a, a, a joke. It's also the future, though. It's also like a dystopic future. Like it's and dystopic is really you say that. But I think that's pretty u- loosely used in this case. I mean, for this to be dystopic, like we know I it's think the it, future. I think, but I think but I think it is as much as Mad Max is. I mean, just look mm-hmm. at the way this is, you know. This car sequence is shot right here. Yeah, this but looks we like still, it could come out of the, see a the city, first. We it's, st- but it looks like it could have come out of the first Mad Max movie at the very least. Maybe I not mean, the maybe sequels. The, maybe the cars could, but the but the city itself. We still have like functioning coffee shops in and like you know. I mean, there was a parking lot full of cars in the city with lots of big buildings, and it looks like a messed up kind of place. But yeah, but I mean, but I mean, people still live in suburbia. But and you're ta- stuff. you're talking about like the 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 central powers that exist in this movie, you know, the police station is overrun with criminals. Like it is overrun with people. I don't think that being overrun with criminals and like your big corporations means dystopia. Well, and then you've, well, then of course, but, but not just that, but you're shown different levels at the very top. You've got Omnicorp that, you know, they basically live, uh, they exist inside a, a great monolith, you know, like this tower, this great obelisk of power and wealth and greed. And then you've got the police station who's kind of at the bottom of what one would still consider civilized society. And then the rest of the movie more or less takes place. Like where, the, where do the criminals hang out? They hang out in the skeletons, the husks, if you will, of dying industry. These are abandoned warehouses that they're living in. These are abandoned warehouses that they're occupying, places where people used to live and work and function as part of the, you know, uh, the mechanics of, of a working economy, of a living economy. That's not happening in this world. I guess I just, I feel like... Industry is dead in this world. But I don't think industry is totally dead. I mean, we still see like functioning... We see a functioning, uh, what is it, cocaine place. Right, built out of a real factory but, that once had legitimate business also, in it. You're, you're we're talk, also you're seeing businesses about cr- that are still working, though. Like, the business that owns the cops is still working. OCP, as, right. As are hospitals. Hospitals are still working and, you know, providing, like... 
uh, organs and stuff. They're growing or, or building organs and stuff for humans. And but that's privatized. You're, you're talking but, about the, the but this movie, what it's talking about is the corruption that is innate in a capitalist society. Like, but I feel like how capitalism your, your kind of, of is this- a magnet for for money and for wealth and prosperity. It's, I mean, I agree obviously, with all obviously that, but it's I'm the shit that, that fucking Bernie Sanders is talking about. But your, <laughs> right? not your get, definition of dystopia then would be that America is in a dystopia right now. No, not necessarily, because it's because small business still thrives here. But we just saw a small business thriving. The coffee shop was clearly a small business, and it the, had tons of patrons. Oh, okay. I mean, I just don't the, think I. I point mean, counterpoint. Good. I, but I'm, but I'm saying that like aesthetically, it it kind of has the look of a dystopia. But, but I just feel like calling it dystopic is everything's supposed to be I mean, bad I, in a dystopia. I. I, I I don't agree with that. But like definition wise on the internet right now, dystopia, an imagined place or state in which everything is unpleasant or bad. Okay. All right. Point Typically a totalitarian or environmentally degraded Good. one. Okay. Well, you win. you win. You I'm win that trying. one. So I'm it's not. it's almost dystopic. It's almost, I mean, we're talking about run of the mill beat cops Dress like SWAT team members. It just, you know, I'm just crime saying is more sci-fi world than this, dystopic world. This world is so dangerous that cops have to wear SWAT gear. But this Regular part of cops. the world is so dangerous. Okay, like like right. suburbia and stuff has happy little houses with computers. I'm not that, talking about I'm not talking about outside but the Detroit. Fact that I'm there talking can about this. Be that place though. Like that. that I place didn't say the exist. world. I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking. Jess, the world is fine. Detroit's a fucking mess, and that's real life. Right, but then that's what. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> that's a good. This is a good conversation, though. We're we're talking about real shit here. Okay, so if you want to go by the I'm, Google, well, so Google you can definition, say that Detroit is in a dystopia, but that America isn't. Sure. So okay, okay. that's what I'm so, saying. I'm so just I'm just saying, like the setting of this is Detroit. And that's okay. that's the only thing that I'm talking about right now. I'm not worried about like suburbia. Like, fine, suburbia still exists. I get that. And it's not like there aren't still hubs of money, even in a dystopic future. I mean, it's it's set up as as this great uh, corporation that that no, runs even the police. I know. And even like, I mean, I would definitely consider the Mad Max world a dystopia. And there clearly are still like functioning groups of people that well, the police you know, force for one, right? Yeah. So or the. What are they called? The it's major just, force patrol. It's just or that everything's supposed to feel bad in a dystopia, and okay. that's and, fair. That's, and I don't. That's fair. I, and if we you're see an, clips wanna, of stuff in right. this world, like they if advertise board have, games on TV. If you want to have the semantic argument, you have won. But I'm just I'm using it as a kind of a catch-all for shit's not super great. Anyways, um, while we were arguing about the definition of the word dystopia. Uh, <laughs> What's happened? <laughs> a lot of things. Um, so we missed the most important thing in this movie, which is that the reason why he gets caught and killed is because um, oh my god, is because she his looks, hand getting blown off. Yeah, is so it's awesome. awesome. Awesome and awesome, awesome and awesome. Yeah, awesome. Um, I think the worst thing about it is that like. That like you don't know when he's gonna shoot, and he makes a thing out of it, like him doing the na 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 thing. Yeah. It, but it's awful because like you're putting yourself in that character and being like, oh fuck, when's he gonna shoot? Oh, fuck, where's he gonna shoot? Kurtwood Smith uh, playing Clarence Boddicker, the bad guy in this movie, the head head 
shithead um, is just completely off the rails. His performance is like he is chewing scenery like crazy and he's wonderful. Oh, you mean the dad from that 70s show? Yes. Okay. Yes. Anyways, um, what I was trying to say is that the reason all of this starts (laughs) is because Lewis looks at a penis. That's why all of this starts. That's right. Um, Penises are evil, clearly. And they cause a lot of death. Right. Well, I mean, it's a. That's what it, I take away. It's really from this a movie. It's. I mean, it's really a biblical reference. If you wanna, if you wanna get down to the nitty gritty. Yeah, of it. yeah. It if is, we're gonna do that, it go is. Ahead. It is the, the the Adam and Eve right. thing. It is Eve and the snake and taking the bite of the apple. Yeah, and she and looks and at that snake penis. <laughs> the snake in this case is is of is course a, is a penis is a penis. <laughs> it's a black man's penis. Um, and uh, and that kind of starts shit rolling downhill, so to speak. Yeah, well, it's because so if you don't know exactly what we're talking about, because you didn't latch on to the penis scene, then then what we're talking about is when they first come in and they separate, and she comes across the guy who's pissing, um, and she she you know has him at gunpoint and stuff, and he's like, "Can I zip up or whatever?" and and she looks, she glances at his penis, and when she glances, he pushes her over the railing. Yep, takes the opportunity to But I gain don't know why hand. he thought she was dead, though. I don't know. Because he doesn't live in a world with movies where you have to check, where you have to see, well, I mean, where you have to a see the bleeding. Falling off of a, a balcony not that high doesn't constitute dead. Like. She would have to fall, like it wasn't that high, and yeah. she'd have to fall in a pretty specific way to die from it. So, or I don't know. You know, we I, I wanted I'm to not talk an about on dying off. I wanted off to talk shit. about Peter Weller's performance because Peter Weller, of course, plays RoboCop, and we only get to see him as Peter Weller, so to speak, or as Alex Murphy, I guess, uh, just for a short time before he's killed and then resurrected mm. as RoboCop. Uh, did you catch the blinked there as they were putting the mask on his face? And he probably shouldn't have. Oh, because he's supposed to be dead. I think he's supposed to be dead or very close to dead. I don't know. Um, I don't think his reflexes would quite work anyway. Um, but I think Peter Weller is super charming in this. Oh, I think so, too. I think when he shows up at the police station. Un- I mean, until he's a robot cop. Until he's a robot cop. Um, <laughs> uh and I think that that him being so charming really gives his transformation that tinge of tragedy that it needs. Mm, yeah. That like, yeah, he's still alive, but he's not really still alive. Like he's really lost something. You know that that shot with I like this shot with the family where the two of them are waving and the and, and he's we driving off to work. Drive away, yeah, with them in the background. Um. Uh, I hope we're not really supposed to believe that his family does that, that they stand there on the curb and wave <laughs> to him together as he drives to work. Um, this is a heightened reality. That's part of the satire. Um, but that uh, one of the things I don't like is I don't like that. I don't like that. I really have to tell you something flashback that happens over and over again, because I think the payoff is shit. Like the, I really have to tell you something. And then it's that I love you. <laughs> and it's just like, what? you built up to like, I wanted her to be like, I'm pregnant or something like that. And, and they built up to it and they, they showed a few times and, and then it's not anything. I know this is a picky complaint, but I just, I don't know. 
Yeah, it's pretty picky. It's how I feel about this whole movie, though. It's like a lot of little stuff like that. Little stuff where you're like, I wouldn't make that partic- that particular choice. But it just right? feels odd. Like, I mean, that's okay. I've been wrong before too. And, oh my god! And that's totally that's totally okay. That's part of being human, an uh-huh. imperfect yeah. being. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love all of this stuff with the first person, him coming to life. You got yeah, the, I love all this. Look at the scan lines on there. I love her big glasses, too. It's, uh, it's too bad he's got a... He wasn't born, so to speak, in an era with a progressive scan, because that interlaced vision is a little... It's not the highest definition. Yeah. He sees in standard def. Uh, is this even standard def? What now? Is this even standard def? Uh, yeah. Can I you mean, have below standard def? We are watch. We are watching a standard def uh, transfer of this because we're watching the Criterion Collection DVD, which is out of out of print, and I'm very proud that I own. Uh, although it is matted, that's the that's my least favorite part about this is that uh, the Criterion Collection Robocop DVD is a matted. Uh, letterbox copy so when you put it through like a like a, a DVD upscaler or something like that to an HDTV you've got the black bars on the top and bottom still and then black bars on the side so I have to zoom in my display <laughs> to get to just the the picture I just didn't know it was a it was a very early DVD release a very early criterion DVD as I understand it uh, but yeah, all of the, all of this stuff is really great. Um, the the trauma team that we saw uh, trying to save Murphy's life was uh, actually a real hospital trauma team. And their, oh, really? And their dialogue was ad libbed, like they just made shit up and acted like they were in a real situation. That's cool, isn't that? Because it felt. Cool? I mean, I didn't, I didn't think like, oh, what an incredible performance. But I, I mean, it just felt like normal to me. Like there was there was no speed bump. So she kissed his eyes? Is that what she just did? I guess so. Um, His lips are uncovered. You could kiss his lips. But yeah, anyways, that's cool to learn that. Um, I wanted to to suggest something. Mm -hmm. We've talked about Joseph Campbell on the show before. We've Mm -hmm. talked about the hero's journey before. I want to to suggest that we watch this movie for, like, as an example... Of maybe the second half of the hero's journey. That, okay. That's like maybe an experimental narrative starting with the death and rebirth, going into the transformation, moving into atonement, and then to the return. As opposed to the full circle, it's only a semicircle. It's only the, the last half of the hero's journey wheel, I guess. Okay. I don't know if it works exactly. I mean, you didn't prep me for this, so no, I didn't. I don't have all of all of my notes and stuff on Campbell's work. Maybe I can pull something up quick. But but I mean, like we would need pretty specific stuff for for it to work. Um, like, does he bring knowledge back to the community somehow? That's usually a big part of the return. He, well, um, he brings knowledge about. The criminals. <laughs> the return, I don't know, like, br- brings knowledge back to the community. Um, 
or well, like or something to represent knowledge. Well, like at some. the at the end when he return, like it's I, I, to me, it's like a more of a metaphorical return because he return start, with elixir. It's sometimes called. Well, he starts the film as Alex Murphy becomes RoboCop, and at the end of the movie, the last line is literally him calling himself Murphy. It's just part of, so. So there's okay, there's so, a cyclical so, there is a cyclical nature to this movie so where like his identity is lost and then regained. When when we say resur- I mean the resurrection that happens though is so late in the hero's journey that the only time that it could work in this film Oh, look at that poopy. Oopy goopy. Oopy goopy. Oh, what's that Tim and Eric thing? It's from Tim and Eric, yeah. I don't remember what it is though. It's like some gross thing that they <laughs> that the kids have that they make. It's one of their What's that company called? Cinco. Cinco. Cinco That's depends right. on you. Um, oopy goopy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, I wanted to say slurm, but that's the Futurama soda. Yeah, yeah, that's wrong. Look at these it's huge okay. Everybody's glasses. Everybody's wrong sometimes. Everyone has huge glasses in this movie, and I love it. Um, you got me thinking about oopy goopy and. Oh God, that's annoying. <laughs> and uh, uh, and I don't remember uh, what I was talking about. Oh, the resurrection. Follow my voice. Ah. So, uh. so it would have to be the resurrection is so close to the end of the hero's journey that it would have to be um, uh, the the time when he gets shot up. Okay. Like not this resurrection. Like it couldn't be this one. This is too. This is too. Even if this is, even if we're only looking at the second half of the hero's journey, this this is too early even for the second half. This would we would have to only be looking at the the, shot the fourth right, quarter of the hero's journey. The shot right here of them in the firing range was our hint for this episode, and uh, it was correctly identified on both Facebook and uh, and Twitter um, on. Facebook, it was correctly identified by my good friend Andy Blankenship, and I believe this is his favorite movie of all time. I'm I th- sorry, Andy. I th- what now? That, that I don't love this movie. Oh, okay. I thought you were apologizing for his favorite movie. Like, no, I'm apologizing for my opinion of it. Oh, okay. That's good. Um, yeah, I, I, I believe that this is his favorite movie of all time, and it's a, it's a good pick. So uh, congratulations to, to Andy. And on, uh, I'm trying to remember who got it on on Twitter, I believe it was uh, it was Kevin Betches of uh, the As You Watch podcast. So congratulations, uh, also of of the Film Pasture. So congratulations to Kevin Betches and Andy Blankenship. Uh, this gun right here is fucking badass. Um, and and I love that that's how she figures out that it's him as he twirls the gun like TJ Laser Cop. Is that right? Yes. TJ <laughs> Laser Cop. Or whatever his name is, the guy from the TV show that is sun-liked. Yeah. Um, I love that the chief just has random keys in his pocket at all time that he can throw to somebody to go get a car. That there's no like paperwork to file out about what car you're going to take when you go out. Or <laughs> whatever. Anyways, um... Yeah, so if we were looking at this like that, like I said, the... Um, oh, I'm sorry. Kevin Betches did not correctly guess this. It was Chris French on Twitter that correctly guessed it. But Kevin, you got a free shout out on the show, so there you go. 
I'd buy that for a dollar. Oh, God. <laughs> you don't like that? Well, I guess in, in the future, they still like stupid shows exactly like we like, so... Um, I mean, not me. I don't include me in that we because, because I don't, I don't watch stupid shows. Right, Dustin? Uh, I mean, you, you watch some pretty stupid shows. How how much of Vampire Diaries have you gotten through? (laughs) Uh, Now I have to, I watch a different kind of stupid show. I wasn't, I was obviously unprepared for this. I have to apologize to Kevin Betches. Uh, he is not on, on as you watch or the film pasture. He has the website cinematic randomness. He is, he is also, he is one of our, our poo pals. Um, so go check out his website. Man, you were just really fucking up tonight. I'm fucking up all over the place. Paul Verhoeven's from Germany. Kevin Betches is on as you watch. I don't know what the fuck's going on. Anyway, this is this starts the uh, the montage of RoboCop cleaning up Detroit. I mean, I guess there is like in the hero's journey. If you look at it like by like the twelve steps, um, there is smack in the middle the death and rebirth, like ordeal, death and rebirth. So I guess if we started the movie there, I mean, I see what you're saying. And then the resurrection is the scene at the end when he gets shot up again and then comes back. Yes. I mean, and that's... Reward or seizing the sword or something is maybe when he's when he becomes RoboCop. Perha- I mean, perhaps, like, in order for this to work, of course I understand that some of the things appear to be right on the nose, like right on the money, but then other things you have to stretch and Well, say. the other thing is that, I mean, in when you're talking about the hero's journey, you're also talking about like our world and the special world and it and I mean it has to be a journey like you have to be going to somewhere different and coming back from somewhere different and it doesn't have to be like go to fantasy world come back from fantasy world but it it could even be you know go to like like um a different city and come back from a different city or something like that like there has to be some sort of or it could be like I suppose you could stretch it to be some sort of figurative going to a different place. Um, But I don't think that that happens at all. I think this all takes place. I think it would be hard to say that there's any sort of like different place that this takes place in, even figuratively or something. All right. I love him shooting the dick of the rapist. It's it's perfectly appropriate. And that shot of him walking up and the, the shadow kind of uh, going ahead of him, so to speak, I guess, mm-hmm. preceding him is a, a really, really great shot. Um, but yeah, I, I don't want to give the remake any credit because I don't... Okay, I didn't... I haven't seen it, all right, so... Let me, let me put this out there. There's a lot of hate going around for the remake. I think the remake is eh, fine. It's fine. What, whatever. It's, I think it kind of misses the point. But it's not that it's not fun. Like, it's got some cool action in it, and it certainly delivers on a robot cop. Like, he's definitely a robot cop shooting people, mm-hmm. and it does. It's, it's PG-13, so it's like, it's not as uh, rough as this movie. It's not as kind of uh, pleasantly and charmingly rough around the edges. Man, that makes gory. me not want to see it if it's PG-13. Yeah, I know. Because I love all the gore in this movie. I know. But as far as like what its particular goals are, I guess it's fine. It 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 meets them fine, I guess. Um, 
but it does kind of miss the point of this movie. Mm. And as a remake, that's kind of hard to ignore. I don't want to give the remake any credit, but I always felt that it was weird that RoboCop didn't have his own special car. And... Mm. Okay, yeah. He does, he has a motorcycle in the remake that looks like him, like that has the same black, like, shiny armor that he has. Yeah, I would think RoboCop would have a, I mean, if nothing else, I assume that armor's really heavy. And big. You know that Peter Weller, when he sat in the actual squad car, he had to sit in it in his underwear and only had the armor on from like the waist up because he couldn't fit in the car uh, with the entire suit on. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, Also, just like like I said, I mean, I think it'd be really heavy and it could potentially be really heavy. Um, We know this is a world where they're able to to make... uh, uh, what's the correct word? Prosthetic hearts? Would that be? Uh, yeah, artificial, artificial hearts. Prosthetic hearts. hearts I don't sure. know. Um, and so we have to assume that they can work with material that's that is the same weight as like typical human organs and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still we that isn't. I, I would assume that same material wouldn't be able to deflect bullets. Um, so, right. so I would guess that, that the material he's wearing has to be, that he's made out of has to be really heavy, I would it's, assume. Uh, well, or they say different material, they, at least. Well, they say in the movie, it's titanium and Kevlar. That's what it is. And Kevlar's really heavy, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. I would definitely think he'd have a special vehicle. Um... So in this scene right here, the where he was walking toward the room, I don't know if you saw his uh, his infrared heat vision mode. The way that was actually executed was by using fluorescent body paint on nude actors and a black light because it was a cheaper uh, cheaper method than getting an actual infrared spectrometer camera. Um, and that scene, the hostage scene where the former city council member holds the mayor and the staff hostage is actually based on a real life crisis where the former San Francisco supervisor, Dan White, wanted his old job back. Uh, and that's uh, the incident, of, of course, when Harvey Milk uh, was killed. Um, the character is also seen eating Twinkies, which is uh, an homage to White's 1979 conviction of involuntary manslaughter where diminished capacity was used, which is also known in legal terms because of that incident uh, as the as the Twinkie defense. Because in the case, it said that he had been distressed and was not eating properly and Twinkies were mentioned like he was mm. he had been eating a lot of Twinkies. So in that state of being kind of malnourished, he uh, had diminished capacity, which means he didn't have the mental faculty because to, he was eating Twinkies, right? So it's it's come diminished capacity in a courtroom has been come to be known as the Twinkie defense. So so legally, um, Twinkies result in making you more dumb, <laughs> yes, or incapable, or m- at least more prone to holding people hostage. Oh, okay. So Twinkies are dangerous? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, especially if it's like the Twinkie from Ghostbusters, the, the hypothetical Twinkie. Oh, yeah, the hypothetical all Twinkie. Of, all of the paranormal energy in the city. Uh-huh. 
that would have to be a Twinkie that's like 90 feet long and <laughs> 400 tons or whatever the fuck he says. <laughs> Tell him about the Twinkie. <laughs> um, so we just missed my favorite commercial in the movie, which is the one for Nukem. Oh, yeah. The board the, game. The battleship game. Get them before they get you. Pakistan is threatening my border, says the kid. <laughs> that's a great line. It is great. <laughs> I love I love that commercial. That um, commercial is fantastic. I don't know if you noticed, but RoboCop does actually throw that city councilman out the window, which makes him a murderer. I don't know. Like the guess this, we're not going to have the what can and should superheroes do discussion. Uh, yeah, this is. I don't know if this is the episode for that, but I, I don't know. R- RoboCop is. He he acts like a good cop. I love that guy peeing his pants to, to get, get out the of fuck the bathroom. Out of there. He acts like a good cop, like a cop should, so to speak. I guess mm. um, most of the time. Well, I but don't know about some, that. He but sh- then sometimes he throws people out of windows. But sometimes he just acts with let's excessive force. Well, he does snap at the end of the movie and then just go and kill all the yeah, the, that's true. The people, yeah, so. that's true. Um, so. So, this thing. What thing? Uh, this scene in the executive bathroom. I wanted to talk about executive bathrooms. <laughs> can, can we? You, you talk have. About... You have the floor. <laughs> well, no. I mean, I don't really have like a a thing, like something interesting to tell you about executive bathrooms. I mostly was just going to be like our. Like, what's up with them? Are they for real? Like, do they for real still exist in in the capacity that we see them in movies? Are people really that fucking pretentious? Because I not, was looking... It's not about pretension. It's about entitlement. Yes. Well, maybe but, pretension. But also... Perhaps pretension to entitlement. Right. But still, it's about entitlement. Um, And uh, pretension about pretending you're more important than other people. Sure. Um, pretension to entitlement, right? So... So I found a, a, a forum online somewhere. I don't know. And some people, they were talking about, it was a message board or whatever. And they were talking about, like, art. do executive bathrooms still exist? And this was 11 years old, the site that I found. And people were saying they'd worked for huge financial companies and not seen shit like this. It's seen an executive bathroom in 15 or 20 years. And like I said, this was... 11 years ago so we're talking more like 25 or 30 years Mm -hmm. that they hadn't seen anything like this um they mentioned that ceos or super important people might still have private bathrooms that are just theirs um and that the bathrooms on the floors of management or you know upper whatever levels of a business might be nicer than the floors that weren't management or whatever. Yeah. Um, But there weren't like executive exclusive bathrooms with keys and shit like that. So I was just, I don't know. I was just wondering if any pooplings could. Hey, pooplings, do we have any executive pooplings out there? Well, or, or, or pooplings that, you know, work for a shit company that has, that discriminates you in the bathroom and lets you go to like you know the important people's one and the not important i guess bathroom (laughs) discrimination is a huge hot topic for other reasons Uh, right right the fuck now it is yeah (laughs) but i was i was really not wanting to talk about gender i was really just wanting to talk about um like executive bathroom shit because really like 
what what stupid petty shit to think that someone is so much more important than someone else because they're regularly entitled to more green paper that is literally backed up by nothing yeah um that they're so much more important that they deserve to shit in a special white bowl (laughs) like yeah Anyways, I just thought we were beyond that. And I know this is a 1987 movie, so I'm critiquing. But I'm talking about, like, today. Do we really still have this? Um, there is a lot more going on this in this movie than just a robot policeman kicking ass, as we've talked yes, about. Yes, there is. I, I agree di- there is. I did uh, mention how, you know, you've got these... Uh, these large uh, storylines going on. You've got these large organizations that kind of cross paths. You've got the OCP storyline. You've got the police station storyline. And then you've got um, the criminal storyline, right? But then on the personal level, of course, you've got the the larger implications of, of those uh, organizations and the storylines that they're a part of. But then you've also got individuals that kind of drive those stories. And those Per, those personal stories, those uh, individual stories are really interesting, I think. And, and they also tie together in interesting ways. Of course, you've got uh, at OCP, um, Bob, who is the young and up, uh, up and coming uh, junior executive type who had the idea for Robocop in the first place mm. and was able to kind of get his idea uh, in the door with yeah. with. I mean, seriously, he's credited as the old man. So, like, mm-hmm. the head of the company, the CEO that's been around forever, basically royalty, basically like it's basically like a monarchy. When he dies, the second guy in charge steps up into his place, right? Um, and uh, he's kind of competing with the actual second in command, played by uh, Ronnie Cox, uh, whose name is Dick or or Richard, if you're being kind to oh, him. Oh yeah, and they have that. Who cares if it worked or not? The old man thought it was pretty important. Dick. <laughs> people like say, saying his name. People like saying Dick in this movie, calling his name Dick, just about as much as George Clooney did in Batman and Robin. Dick. She wants to kill you, Dick. <laughs> <laughs> That's still the best line in the movie. <laughs> um, let's see. I love it when you have a name that can also be a slur. Uh, the the other the other um storylines the personal storylines going on in this you've got of course robocop storyline which is the personal storyline but in in the police station arc but then you've also got lewis um who i still think doesn't get a, enough screen time she we don't get enough to do yeah we don't really get her character as much as i would like to get her character um and like I said, got, I still don't a hundred percent know exactly what she wants or or feels toward Robocop. And I'm not saying that I need it to be a romantic relationship or whatever like that, because I definitely oh, don't. No. I'm glad that um, it's not. Yeah, I'm glad it's that, not. That's too. the easy thing to do. No, I'm but I'm like but I don't understand exactly is it just guilt because she killed him? I I mean she didn't really know him. So it's hard to say that it's friendship or, or, or something like that or the loyalty of being a partner because she didn't know him. They spent like half a day together. Um, so I don't I don't know if I, I feel like that's the aesthetic that we're going for with their relationship is that it's like the loyalty of your partner or that they're good friends or whatever. But but like I said, it's hard to believe Look, there's because, a shell station, man. 
We watched a movie last night that had a really old shitty shell station in it. Yeah, it it was a really old shitty movie. Terrible movie called... uh, Awful. Slash... Oh, the original title? The original title was Sunburst. It's a movie from 1974, And I wish it still had that title because it would have given me a better idea Um, of what I was getting myself into. When it was released on video, it was retitled Slashed Dreams. And that's it's no mistake that it was retitled Slash Dreams because it has a and it's a pretty fucking small part. He's yeah. only in like the last ten minutes Don't of the movie. Be fooled. But Robert England is in the movie. Right. So when it finally came out on VHS uh, in the United States and came to home video, they were like, shit, this shitty do nothing, go nowhere indie movie that made zero dollars. We're putting it out on home video. It's got Robert England in it. He's a, not a huge star, but a big enough star. After being horror in, fans are going to know his horror name. fans are going to know. Let's call this movie Slash Dreams. And, and it's kind of a horror. There's a bear in it. <laughs> <laughs> but he was pretty cute, he don't was, you think? He was pretty cute. Yeah. It's okay. Don't waste your time. It's just don't, about it's, a, it's just about a woman getting raped, and then uh, by white men, and then the next morning, white men teaching her how to not how to get care over about it. being raped. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That, that and was, it has that was, a number of musical performances. That was basically my uh, my letterboxed review of that movie. Was it's um, the tale of a young white woman getting raped by two white men and uh, then being taught um, the by, next morning. The next morning by six hours later, other two, two other white men how to get over it. Like just mere hours. And after mostly, being it's raped. just drink tea and read a book. Oh God, it's <laughs> and listen to the to the music. It's terrible. Man, it's so bad. But that also had a shell station in it. Older, uh, older than this. Well, this is supposed to be a future shell station. It is. It is. Oh, wait to be. a minute! I thought he was on his bike. No, that's the that's the playback. That's the recording. Oh, 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 oh. Okay. Oh, yeah. So I looked this up too. Um, the so, that's so he, Robocop is at the gas station, of course, and Emil, one of the gangsters who was part of killing him, uh, just drove off. After using his weird yellow cigarette to ignite the gas station. Um, weird yellow future cigarettes. What I was going to say about the weird yellow future cigarette and the gas station was was just, uh, can a cigarette, a lit cigarette, oh, ignite? This is a Mythbusters question. A gas station. And there probably is a Mythbusters out there that actually has the real answer. My answer was was uh i came up with after five minutes of googling and um basically it's not impossible i guess is what people said but it's highly unlikely that when they tell you at the gas station not to smoke while you're pumping it's really about lighting the cigarette and the lighter right and not about the cigarette the lit cigarette itself because the temperature of a lit cigarette is really too low Sub- to substantially lower than the flame it takes to ignite the cigarette right yeah um and that it's it's i think someone said that maybe it is possible for a lit cigarette to to light gasoline but it's just really unlikely i don't know i'm not a i'm not a scientist i don't know about i'm not a science lady i don't know about gasoline and temperatures and those have numbers so, well, I don't know if you know this, but uh, steel does not melt um, at the temperature that rock that that jet fuel burns at. I don't know if you knew that. 
But, Why uh, are you talking about that? That's jet, so random. Jet fuel can't burn at the heat that it re- requires. Why? Why are you, you would, even you talking would, about you that? You would need thermite, really. It would have to be a, a controlled demolition to bring down the World Trade Center. Uh, Bush did 9/11. The thing is, is I don't know. Like, I okay. We're not gonna no. Well, yeah, we're, I'm sorry. <laughs> That was a joke. That was a joke. Yeah, no, that's what I was going to say is I don't know what angle you're going at this from. Like, I know the, you're... The joke, the joke angel, yeah. Illuminati. The joke angel. <laughs> the joke angel. I'm the angel of jokes. <laughs> Illuminati confirmed. Um, this little spike that RoboCop has on his, on his hand. You, did you see that thing? It's, what about the other building that went off that wasn't anywhere near where the planes hit? Oh my god. No, I'm serious. We're not talking about this. <laughs> we are not we are not talking about this. Okay. You're the one who started talking about it. I'm not saying the government blew up the building. What happened to building seven? Never stop asking questions. Um, I want to, I want to ask about that removable bus interface that, that is the spike on his hand. And if that's proprietary, like does, is RoboCop the only one that has that particular kind of plug for a, to interface with a computer? Cause if he is, then why is the room he just walked in to get all the information about Clarence Boddicker, the gangs and his past life? Why was that restricted to him as he was told as he was walking in? I was not listening to you at all. That's cool. That's cool. <laughs> what are you, what are you talking about? That's cool. I'm just talking about the spike on his hand. The spike on his hand. What about the spike? Just, I was asking if it was proprietary, if it's, if it's a thing that only oh. RoboCop has. And if it is, if it is not, then why was the area that he just went in and used it in restricted to him as he was told as he was walking in? Right. But he was able to, to get right. in using yes. it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Yes. I don't know. Why is that TV so shitty in the future? Oh, Oh, that's sad. What year is this supposed to be? I don't know. Just the future. Just the future. 1988. <laughs> um, okay, another thing I don't understand. So, like, this is the shit I'm talking about. So he finds a cup on the counter that says world-class husband that's cracked and stuff. I mean, clearly they have... And, like, why is this here? Why would someone go to the trouble of of emptying the entire house of everything and putting, you know, cloth and stuff over the furniture that's still there and installing these computers into the house, which are clearly, I'm assuming, unless they're just computers that are a part of the house. To help you sell the house. I assume they're just, I I don't see it in that picture. I don't see the computer there. So that makes me assume that these are installed specifically by real estate agents or whatever to help sell the house. Someone would go to the trouble of installing those computers and emptying the entire house, but would leave a cracked world's greatest dad cup on the on the counter. And like burned shit, like burned pictures of, uh-huh, of their family. Of the family on the counter. That's the kind of shit I'm talking about that drives me nuts in this movie. And right. this. And this. I have something to tell you, which we get multiple times over and over, and we lead up to it, and it's just a, I love you. And it's like, yeah... Okay. All right. Your your takedown of RoboCop is kind of effective, and I, it's, it's bothering me a lot. It's really upsetting me because this movie's great. I'm, 
I'm not saying that this movie doesn't succeed at what it's trying. I love the way these people dance. Oh, so there's is, a bunch of titties so there. So is I didn't him? Before. Oh, I didn't notice the titties either. Is um, is him returning home? Would that could that be considered the return of the hero's journey? I I don't know. So what are we saying? But there, he has to go somewhere though. That's what I'm telling you. Is that I don't know what the special world is that he, he went goes to work. To. That's not a special world that he already it's was metaf- in that it's a world. Metaphor. No, no, that doesn't work. No. Mm-mm. Look at Ray Wise. I mean, you could possibly say like that guy right there, the guy that was like his face was like way in the camera mm-hmm. and you saw him for just a second. That was Paul Verhoeven. <laughs> Look at these people dancing. Apparently walking down the stairs to get into this club area for Peter Weller was a real task mm. in the suit. Yeah, I bet. Because it was super fucking heavy, and he couldn't see where he was going in the mask. Mm-hmm. He couldn't apparently look down with the mask on. That's... So the two robots that are in this movie can't handle stairs. That's right. Confirmed fact. Confirmed fact. I mean, that's how he defeats the other robot, is he just goes down the stairs. That's it. So we've got Bob here hanging out with some, uh, some. He calls them models. Yes. Uh, he said in a different scene that he had some models coming over, but I feel like this is much later than when he said that. I feel oh, like I, this is not the same time. Oh, I assumed this was the same, the same date like he was talking been, about. It's been other. I feel like the pacing then is weird because I feel like there have been other days since the day when we said that. When he said that, look at those shoulder. Also, pads. where where did the coke go? Because it's not on her anymore, and it's not on his face. And shouldn't it be? It's up his nose. Yeah, but I mean, no, he's just very efficient. Okay. Oh, that's the second best line in the movie. Bitches leave. Bitches leave. <laughs> let's talk about the treatment of women in this movie. Okay, let's talk because, about it. Because because I'm kind of back and forth on it. Okay. Um, we've it got, depends on the character. It, it does depend on the character. Um, so we've got like this, this scene right here where, where he, he says, um, bitches leave to the women. Right. And so we've got these women who are obviously who are here for the Coke and the money and who he's treating, uh, who he's with because he wants to fuck them and he's you know, very condescending by telling them they're super intelligent when they're clearly not and et cetera. Um, so obviously very negative in a scene like this. Um, and then we do, uh, have the rape scene too, which, which I'm not saying that's, I don't know, you and I have different takes on rape in TV and movies. We feel differently about it typically. Yeah, usually. Um, and this isn't the movie to get into it cause there's just not enough here to talk about it with. Um, but that doesn't specifically bother me. But you know, for some people, it would, um, like as a as a negative toward how it treat, treats women in this movie. And I'm not saying that rape against women is ever okay, obviously. But but anyways, that's not a factor in it for me. It, it's just kind of interesting because most of the women in this movie are just completely like, like, like they're a normal. They don't have anything uh, that sets them apart from the men who they work with. You know what I'm saying? Right. Well, I mean, that's the. 
Yeah, I mean th- that specifically in the in the police department. Well, not just specifically in the police department. Also in the hospital, we see women who are part of that ER that's, team. Oh, that that's true. But we I, also I, see them in the scientific. I think you're definitely department. R- I think you're definitely right about that. But I do think that there is more of a point made in the police department with them all dressing. Co- yeah, no, I think with the so co-ed too. Locker rooms. Um, I guess in the business setting. Are there any women in that conference room? If there are women I in the business are, yeah. setting, there but there definitely aren't as many as it's not noticeable. It's not noticeably equal or anything like that. But there are some women there, I believe. Um, and and so I feel like women are represented in all the different uh, jobs that we see and treated the same. In all of those jobs, there's like nothing. Even the woman who's on the science team wears like a tie and stuff. Yeah. Um, So, so it's kind of I don't know. It's kind of interesting. What What's your take on it? Uh, I think that it's mostly. um, I mean, I don't think it's because she's a woman, but I think that that um, Nancy Allen, what's her name, Uh, Lewis's. I think Mm -hmm. Lewis's character. I don't think we've talked about this. She doesn't get enough development, but I don't think that has anything to do with her being a woman. No, Um, I think it just has to do with she could have. I mean, and I mean, she is not sexualized at all in this movie. Uh, She wears exactly, and this is another thing. Like the we see the police officers wear the SWAT style gear and they have the armor that kind of fits over their bodies and it's kind of outer Kevlar that kind of looks bulky and big. Um, but the women wear the same version of that that the men do. There isn't a feminized breast having version of that armor. Right, yeah. And in a lesser movie, I feel like the men would, would be, be wearing like the the armor that's got the pecs and the six pack and the women would be wearing the armor that's got the smooth stomach and the boobs. Right, you know? yeah. That's made out of the same material, but clearly like feminized and masculinized. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, um, I agree. So yeah, I I feel like that 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 Verhoeven is making a point to try to make mm. this a truly egalitarian world. Though I do have to say, I'm picturing right now wearing something that was like just straight flat up and down, pressed completely tight against my chest like that, and that sounds fucking awful. Yeah, well, yeah. Like I I understand, you know the. You don't have exactly a small chest though. Thank you for for making that 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 uh, observation. You're welcome. Um, but but like I think most women would agree though that that would be. I'm not saying I want boobs on my superhero armor, but but a completely a style that's exactly the same as a male's actually would not be comfortable. I understand. Or conducive to proper movement. Sure. Anyways, um, but anyway, I wanted to talk about that last scene, uh, Bob's death scene. Uh, it is not, in fact, the first time that uh, a character played by Kurtwood Smith has killed a character played by Miguel Ferrer in a movie. The first time that happened was in the movie Flashpoint, in 1984, and uh, apparently, in filming that scene, uh, Miguel He's just killing everyone. Yes, he is. Uh, Miguel Ferrer and Kurtwood Smith were were cracking up at uh, Paul Verhoeven because he kept referring to all of the actors in character. So he would call Miguel Ferrer Bob and he would call Kurtwood Smith uh, Clarence and he would call the actresses playing the prostitutes or the models bitches. 
And they thought that was fucking hilarious that he'd be like, okay, bitches, you go over here and do this. Who, who did this? Paul Verhoeven. The director. The director. Yeah. Also, hmm. the the ladies that leave. I mean, I like I they, get it being funny, and it is kind of funny, but like, then it's also not. Right. Yeah. Like it's funny, but it's not. No. I, no. No. I get. It. I didn't say it was funny. I said they thought it was funny. Um, but the models. Why does he arrest him, but he kills everybody else? Um, because he's on a vengeance quest now. He's not doing the right thing. In fact, he has to he has to decide to make the right decision. This is part of him getting his humanity back. Like part of humanity, this movie is making the point of saying is making bad decisions sometimes. Like humans obviously aren't perfect. That's why he's a robot. He's programmed to do the right thing, but there's humanity that remains in him and you see that with him doing like the the gun twirl and saying things that he used to say in his past life like dead or alive you're coming with me, like that kind no, of stuff. No, I get what you're Those saying. Those are hints. And when he walks into this place and it just starts pl- blowing people away, he's probably not making the right decision and he's about to kill Clarence Boddicker until Boddicker says, "You're a cop." And he stops and he says, you're right, I'm a cop. And his, but he tells him at first that he's under arrest. I don't right, know. right. But his, you know, his prime directives kick in and say, uphold the law. Yeah. Which is very Asimovian. Yeah, but it didn't kick in for everybody else. What are the, th- what are the three laws of robotics? There's something kind of similar to Robo- RoboCop's oh, prime directives. Know. Something like robots cannot harm humans. Oh, cannot, I know what you're talking they about. They cannot self-harm and something else. I think that's right, right? I don't know. Um, what? But what I was... Uh, man, now I've already forgotten what I was going to say. God. I'm sorry. Um, I can't yeah. remember. I'm trying to remember. This was, this was Kurtwood Smith's first scene that he shot... Uh, and this line right here, this this little move right here that he's got was something that he came up with right before they started shooting. Uh, and that's when he spits blood onto the papers and says, just give me my fucking phone call. It's <laughs> awesome. That's a great line, too. Yeah, it is. <laughs> he's so good in this movie. I feel like he's yeah. like... he's like Kurtwood Smith is MVP of this movie, I think. He really really carries a lot of the enjoyability for me. You know, besides the fact that there's a man running around as a robot cop and so, shooting people. I remember what I was going to say. And obviously it would make for a super boring movie and also um, I wouldn't want to watch that movie. But in like my... Because whenever you watch... It's funny. We've been talking a lot about this this semester in one of my courses uh, uh, on nonfiction where, where we've been talking about how actually when you write fiction... Um, you have to make people believe what you're saying and the choices that, that your characters make and the, the motivation behind what people do. You have to make people believe it in fiction. Whereas in nonfiction, you actually don't have to, which is outrageous when you say it on the surface. But really, um, when you think about it, it's like, I guess that makes 
sense. It's weird how our it's brains like, work like that, You don't like have that, to make though. people believe it because it fucking happens, so deal with it. Well, it's just, that's something that when you're learning to write nonfiction, that's just something that fiction writers like me come into a nonfiction class and, well, I, mean, and knowing, I feel the need to I think, explain. I think going into a book that you know is nonfiction because that's how it's categorized primes you to You accept, just believe it. Yeah, it yeah. primes you to accept whatever's in that book. And so people who read nonfiction believe way, way, way more outrageous shit than we get away with in fiction um because you're you're supposed to just believe that sometimes in life you just make choices because you do and there's not motivation behind them and there's not like an ulterior reason for something or whatever um and that sometimes the world is just fucking weird and crazy and whatever and you just believe it and you don't have to have answers for everything in nonfiction. but in fiction you do we question everything in fiction we question the motivations we question the logic behind behind the worlds that these people are in and one of the things that i question with with this movie is the logic behind the building of any of these robot cops and the fact that these robot cops have the ability that they are robot cops not military cops they are robot cops and they have the ability to use lethal force at all that's really weird to me the logic of that is weird and i'm not saying it is like oh they should you know a cop should never kill anybody obviously a cop if he his or her life is in danger should shoot the person who's trying to shoot them right um but what i'm saying is that i hope if we're in a future where we've come to the point that we can make a robot cop that we've come to the point where we can make weapons that just subdue people Yes. Efficiently instead of killing them. Non-lethal weapons. Right. And I mean, we already have weapons that that typically are effective at doing that. Yeah. Um, And the idea of giving lethal weapons to robots doesn't make any sense to me in this in this sort of when they're cops, because because it's like they should like because they can't be killed. Right. Right. That's what I'm saying. Why give why give something that can't be killed the power to kill? Right. That's exactly what I'm saying. Now, obviously, if this were for military purposes, that is an interesting philosophy. And like, I know I I guess I've kind of answered my own question right here because this robot, what's his name? ED 209 or 209, Ed 209. And I think you're actually talking about the philosophy that's really behind uh, the idea of drones, and you mm-hmm. know, we, we're talking. Right. We've talked about uh, in recent years uh, the morality of drones and using drones in warfare. Using and, and you know, drones at this point, uh, as far as I know, are all piloted by people who are remote. Right. Yeah. You know, um, but like the morality of piloting a drone into a space where maybe a human can't go mm-hmm. to kill other humans mm-hmm. and and while that other human is not I don't know it's it's weird it's like this it's the modern version of the gentleman's war where you know right. the gentleman the gentleman's war is the war fought face to face where you all walk out on a battlefield in a straight line and just shoot at each other and yeah. Like in a like how they used to fucking used yeah. to fight wars. It was right. stupid. Oh yeah, super dumb. <laughs> um, but it's kind of like I feel like this is the modern day version of that. It's like this is this is ungentlemanly or whatever you might want to call mm-hmm. it. Right? Is that you're not willing to put your life at risk, but you're willing to go out and and uh, and kill others with this technology. He wins because the big robot can't go downstairs. You're fucking. Urban and this is this is how, what they call this thing: an urban pacification unit can't 
can't handle stairs. That's a huge fail. It is a huge fail. But what I was saying, though, is that I would... But look at Robocop. He can barely handle the stairs, too. Also true. (laughs) He's just kind of hopping down. This robot sounds so sad right now when it's stuck on its back. Uh, It's a baby pig sound. The the Ed 209 makes like weird... It makes like... I think there's a lion sound or... Yeah, it roars at one point. That's right. It's got... It uses animal sounds. In that first scene. Which is awesome, by the way. Um... But anyways, though, what what I was saying is that I would believe in my fantasy world when you tell me that we've made military weapons uh, that can use lethal force. I believe that because I, I, I believe that people are just, you know, corrupt enough and I would believe it in... in <laughs> that, li- that line delivery. You maniacs is very Charlton Heston-esque. Um, but but when I'm watching, you know, robo cops be made, robotic cops, then it's hard for me to believe that they would give lethal force capabilities to a robotic cop that cannot die and that would then, you know, be able at all. Like like I said, the reason that a cop, the only reason that a cop should kill somebody, the only reason is if that cop's life is in immediate danger. In immediate danger, right? In a, so. Yeah. That is the only reason, um, and and so but, but, the idea but, but, of a thing that cannot die, and that will not be affected by something like bullets, uh, being given the ability to kill humans around it is really broken to me. But what I was gonna, what I was saying, I answered my question about was that Ed two hundred nine. They said they had already made a deal to sell it with the military, right. So that answers the question basically for him. Sure. But it doesn't answer the question for RoboCop. The question, well, the, 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 as far as I can tell, the reason for RoboCop being a thing is because Bob wanted a leg up and he wanted to have a better idea than Dick so that he could get in the good graces with the old man. So to, as far as I'm concerned, RoboCop is a response to Ed 209 at the corporate level where it's just one person competing for right. the favor Right, no, I agree of, with that. You know, someone higher up than him, the guy at the top. No, I I agree with. I mean, I agree. It's definitely, and I I guess you could argue that RoboCop could be killed. Yes. Well, I mean, he he is a he's still a human. He's still, as far as I know, I don't think they cover that in this movie. But I think in the remake, they or either in the remake or one of the sequels to this, which I'm not even not very familiar with at all. I've seen RoboCop two like once, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, and I think I've, I don't think I've ever seen RoboCop three because I was told not to watch it. <laughs> and that's good enough for me. Uh, Peter Weller's not even in it. There's an ad for the car that the, the six thousand SUX. That the cops told the guy eight point two miles to the gallon. <laughs> Man. Um, but yeah, what was I saying? The the uh, what? How how alive is RoboCop? I think RoboCop is. Um, he's of course head and. Eyes, brain, lungs, heart, and that's it, I think. That's what they said? I think the organs that are left, it's either in one of the sequels or the remake. The, the, if it's in the remake, it's not canon. But um, speaking of canon, the Omnicorp logo looks a lot like the canon video group <laughs> logo. Just thought I'd point that out. Um, yeah, I think it. I think he's... he. Below the neck, he all he's got is like lungs and heart, I think. So yeah, I mean he could be well, killed. Well, I, I know they they said you know like look, it's Eddie Van Halen. They were able? Are you being serious? Yes, that's Eddie Van Halen. <laughs> that's, 
<laughs> I love the way he talks in this little clip here. He's my favorite of the random people they interview. Um, yeah, I mean, it, well, I mean, in that little newscast, we saw the ideologies of the middle class and the lower class and how they clash. Uh, the guy that we saw before, Eddie Van Halen, said, uh, "Public servants can't strike," mm-hmm. which is certainly an an ideology that I, I mean, you, that can be debated, right? Um, and then Eddie Van Halen, who is clearly lower class than that, he says they can do whatever they want because we've all basically got to look out for ourselves. That's mm-hmm. that's what he espouses. It's, he says there's a lot of jungle out there, and he's kind of just laughing about it. And I don't know. He's he's a guy that kind of sees the chaos in the world for what it is. And I feel like the the lower you are on the social rung, the more you see the the kind of the, the more, chaos in the world the more you're a victim to that chaos right of course because if you're at the top and you're living with your executive bathrooms then the world is peachy oh yeah for sure like you're, what, you're in a you're in a protective you, bubble you made out of you cash. don't go to the stores that the rest of us go to you don't go to the you don't drive down the same streets and if you do you you, shop at you have someone shop at Whole Foods for <laughs> <right>. you <laughs> but I mean not even like that rich I think that even just rich enough that you know that you live in a world where you can do all your shopping at Whole Foods like that's fuck that <laughs> all your shopping at Publix right <laughs> we Let's can't even real. do we can't even do all our shopping at Publix we've got to limit it to just chicken because, <laughs> because we can't handle Walmart's Walmart chicken. chicken is so nasty it's so fucking <laughs> shitty it's terrible it's so nasty so in the newscast I was talking about the newscast before and uh and they, they mentioned uh, the death toll. They say 130-something people died, including two former presidents of the United States who had retired to the Santa Barbara area or something like intense. that. pretty intense. Can you imagine if something terrible happened and two fucking presidents died at the same time? That's, that would be pretty intense. I, I, I can't even imagine. Like, people... This country freaks the motherfucker out when one president grows to be 90 or 100 years old because they all do. Right, yeah, true. They all they all get old as fuck. Yeah. And then they, they die do. and the whole country pretends like they were just angels, like they were the per- like like no one hated them. Yeah. I remember when Ronald such a big fucking deal out of it when old I mean, presidents like I get die. It, but like when I remember when Ronald Reagan died, and ev- I mean, all the news channels, it didn't matter if it was a news channel that you'd consider to be left leaning, right leaning, doesn't matter. They were all just like, oh, the legacy of the great Ronald Reagan. And I'm like, fuck what you, fuck what? Are you what are you talking t- about? <laughs> but uh, but I feel like I I am of the opinion that we do that way too much with with. And I know this is a very unpopular opinion, but also with celebrities. Yeah, I just don't give a fuck. Like I'm there are a handful of celebrities that when they die, I'll be like, oh, Oh, man, that sucks. Like Harrison Ford's going to really make me sad. Yeah. And Bill Murray's going to make me really sad um, oh, because I have like emotional childhood attachments to those people. You know, you know, what's a weird one. I've, I, I may have said this before. Michael Keaton. Michael that Keaton's is a weird one. Michael Keaton's going to hurt. And this is why That's it's going to hurt. Gonna hurt for me. This is one of those things that I've carried with me my whole life. I remember one day when I was a kid, I just decided that. You know, Michael Keaton's kind of a youngish man, and I'm a kid. When Michael Keaton dies, I'm officially old. That's what I decided. So I will carry that forever. And the day Michael Keaton dies, I'm going to go, fuck, I'm old. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, I get that. But like for me, like that actor specifically, I don't know why. Probably because I liked Batman and Beetlejuice, but you know. But what I'm saying though is like you have a specific tie to Michael Keaton because of that. Like his his death means something to you. Harrison Ford and Bill Murray are going to specifically mean something to me because of you know childhood childhood memories of watching their movies with my parents with my father specifically um and and so like that will hurt in a specific way but but the way that just people I mean and I know recently that this is a hot topic thing to talk about because because recently we've had a lot of celebrity deaths or this year we've had a lot of celebrity deaths 2016 has been pure poison for insanely talented people. Right. And I'm not I'm not knocking the fact that um that it sucks that these people died like I'm not saying it trying to diminish that. I agree that it sucks that these people died. I agree that they were really talented people. Um and I agree we should be sad about their deaths, but the way we make such a goddamn big deal out of it where where I'm I just don't I cannot believe that any one person is more important than any one other person and and it's really hard for me to get behind the idea of you know the idolatry that goes yeah, no, 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 into I, celebrity and political deaths like this. I get it no and you're not wrong but it's you know it's so they're so public the fuck figures. what they're, they're talented figures, yeah. like and they're a public fi- figure but so the fuck what like I I'm <laughs> I just I know, don't I know and it's the same with the president's dying too. It's like, yeah, of course it makes the news. It's an important thing, but really every damn news channel has to cover it like no matter who they are. Is this really breaking like uh well, of it's, course it's well, breaking it's, news, but like the kind that we've got to cover 24/7. I mean, but, but they're not covering it out of like altruism or like like journalistic integrity or something. It's not it's not that they're reporting the news that needs to be covered because this is what the people need to hear. People are going to hear it. They're covering it because that's what people want to watch at that moment. It's money. I mean, it's that, that's what No, it is. I I understand that that's why any choice is made these days in the media, which is, you know, says a lot about our oh, how much we can trust our news and the integrity of our we, we missed the scene i media. wanted i wanted to talk about the the makeup you know robocop finally takes off his his helmet or his mask and we can see like his face under there mm-hmm. for the first time in in forever and it's you know it's it's a really amazing effect and it's really nice how the face appears to be like wrapped around a robot skeleton yeah no i love the way it looks um the lack of eyebrows i think is a particularly nice touch Mm -hmm. that maybe was borrowed from the terminator we talk about the lack of eyebrows uh being so effective we've talked about this before in the terminator in the terminator specifically Mm -hmm. that's i feel like that's the moment in the movie where he becomes the monster where he Mm -hmm. becomes frankenstein's monster and looks as menacing and evil and otherworldly yeah. as he acts and kind yeah. of is. Um, and I think that when RoboCop takes off his helmet and we get to look in his eyes and see that he's a human under there and he doesn't have eyebrows, he doesn't have that one thing that everybody has, it's it's really strange. Does everybody have eyebrows? Not everybody, everybody, but... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's. I feel like that's visual shorthand for this. This person is different. I think you just. Have. You well, I mean, just they do it in called, Dark City too. You just called so many people. Like you hey, just made hey. so many f- people feel bad right now because they don't have not, eyebrows. Not feel bad. They're special. 
They're special snowflakes. Special eyebrowless snowflakes. That's what they are. But actually, Paul Verhoeven and Rob Botten, who, welcome back to the show, Rob Botten. He was uh, also the the makeup, makeup effects guy on, uh, on The Thing. I love this gun they have. Um, they clashed repeatedly before and during production over the design and makeup of what RoboCop would look like underneath the helmet. And what they argued about the most was the the scene that we just saw, where she takes off, where Murphy takes off the helmet, or where, where I'm sorry, Murphy takes off his own helmet. Um, Botten apparently wanted the scene to be shot in a darkened area because he thought that like harsh light would reveal mm. too much of the makeup effects. And Verhoeven was like, "No, we're shooting it in bright light, and uh, in as bright a light as possible." Um, and uh, he, you know, he insisted, Verhoeven insisted that the director of photography, Yost uh, Vakano, would be able to light it properly without revealing anything. And he, of course, the director got his way. And I think that it turned out great. They both think it turned out great. Apparently, Botten was really, Botten and Verhoeven were really on the outs with each other for a long time until they uh, went to the premiere. And they were so impressed with how it turned out, the final product, that they instantly forgave each other. And they're like, looks fucking great. Who cares? Bygones be bygones, right? But I love that she brought him baby food. But it's great. He spends the rest of the movie like this. Mm -hmm. He never puts the helmet. It looks so good. It does. It looks so good. And of course, you know, if we're talking thematically and stuff, it's super important that he doesn't put the helmet back on because he's reverting to his humanity. humanity, So see the bullet hole in his head on the other side. Mm hmm. Um, So what's your history with this movie anyways? Was this one you saw as a kid? No, it wasn't. Um, This was a movie that. Of course, I always knew about because who doesn't know about the robot cop? Um, but when I was a kid, I guess I always probably wanted to see it because it's, again, robot cop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, robot cop. I don't think I ever actually saw. I may have seen bits and pieces of this on TV when I was a kid. I definitely remember seeing the ending of RoboCop 2 on TV when I was a kid and thinking it was totally fucking awesome when he blew up the the Ed 209 I haven't, type I haven't robot seen in that. RoboCop 2. Well, we'll watch it. Oh, good. Um, and you'll love it. Uh, but I don't think I actually watched this until I was in like maybe high school. The first time I saw it was definitely on DVD. So that should tell you something. Okay. So it was DVD era. I think I was probably in high school, maybe college, but probably high school. Um, yeah, and I just love the shit out of it. I, you know, I... I feel like watching something like this as a kid, you definitely carry a pre- an appreciation for it the rest of your life that you can never have any other way. Mm-hmm. So, like, I don't have that childhood wonderment of, like, oh, yeah. my God, RoboCop. Which and- we talk about with a lot of movies. I mean, that's that's a thing that both of us have with Poltergeist. Um, oh, yeah. That's a thing that that both of us have with a lot of the movies that, that we love that we've done on this podcast. They were movies that we saw when we were kids. Um and and so yeah and this may for me be one of those movies where like if i had seen it when i was a kid it might have might have meant more to me or done something more for me than what it does now yeah um i i definitely think we forgive a lot in movies a lot more when we see them initially as children oh Um, definitely you can forgive a lot but, Definitely. And not that this movie needs a lot of forgiving. I'm not saying that. I just... 
I don't know. I really love this ending, this this final shootout. Uh, this is to me like the ending of an old western, where like the gang, the bad guy gang, rolls into the town to take on the sheriff and the deputy, who are more than ready to put up a fight. Like yeah. that's that's what it feels like when they're rolling up through here with their van. Van's moving real slow, and they've got their guns and they're ready to fight. And Robocop and Murphy are ready to take them on. And Murphy is once again kind of worthless in this fight. Um. I wanted to go back. I know we're past it, but back in the scene where like all hell was breaking loose on the town and they, they showed the stupid clip of the TV show again saying, I buy that for a dollar. <laughs> right. Um, during that scene, when, when we've got the, I buy that for a dollar guy. Name is supposed to be like Bixby Snyder or something. And he's based off of Benny Hill. Hill. Yeah. Benny Hill. Um, but anyway, so it, during that, during that moment, the guy says in the I've got I'd buy that for a dollar scene the guy says oh man is this like chemicals or something what is it toxic waste is what it said on the thing oh as it he, said toxic waste drove so he, into so it so he should become a, uh, he should become like a super mutant become a daredevil oh man that looks painful oh my god it's but so awesome. amazing yeah the melting awesome. this is this is called the melting man sequence i guess but. i love melting people in movies melting people in movies is always good yeah it's it was awesome the best thing in street trash yeah, it was the only good the thing only in street good trash thing in street trash i'm sorry let me rephrase um so what i was saying is in the can i buy that for a dollar TV show thing. Yes. Uh, he says, can I have you both to two girls that are standing with him? And they say, sure, we've had our shots. And and I felt like maybe I'm stretching here, but but I felt like that was perhaps a, a reference to people in this movie being seen as commodities of some sort. You know, and pets oh, okay. are pets are commodities sure. very often interpreted as commodities, especially in in like Marxist theory and stuff. Uh, you know, we talk about about um man be like like oh, animals awesome. dogs and stuff being commodities him getting hit by the car is so amazing and it, with the way his head rolled over the windshield was just yeah. a happy accident oh really yeah man that's lucky when that happens um, <laughs> it's it's lucky when it happens that a head rolls over your windshield just in just right. the perfect way just when you, right when you run over your melting mutate mutated man um but anyways, though, so so I feel like that was that was part of that that statement that this movie is making because obviously this movie is making a statement about can, a, lot, a lot of things, a I lot think. of things. But one of the the one I'm talking about right now is about humans as commodities and and can we turn humans into commodities? Can we right. turn them into things? The, and and what happens when you do that? And the like kind of literal loss of humanity that happens mm -hmm. uh, when... But then how humans always still become human in right. the end. Some, right. Somehow. Right. Um, like to even, some degree. Even when you turn a man in, into a literal object, right. he still knows how to... He's still a man in the end. Right. He's still human. And of course, that's human the enough. question we always come to when we talk about robots. We talk about consciousness. We talk about if but you that give... Does, that does tie directly into Marxist theory. Right. Yeah. yeah. And what and and of course, anything where you're talking about commodities and people being seen as commodities because people are uh, in in Marxist theory, we're talking about, of course, like the working man being a commodity. Um, and you can often if you see like animals being referenced in the movie, uh, 
you can talk about animals as commodities too. So if people turn into animals or something like that, then then you can construe that as like Marxist symbolism, depending on how it's being used. And I'm just saying the reference that the women made where uh, where they said we've had our shots and he's saying I buy that for a dollar and he's not only talking about having them and buying them but them stating that they're animals right by talking about having their shots um is talking about people as commodities which this movie obviously does a lot I just thought it was I saw it as that and perhaps I'm reaching but but I thought it was another little... No, I think you're definitely right about that. This, uh, The death of Clarence Boddicker. Initially, Paul Verhoeven wanted Robocop to kill Clarence Boddicker by stabbing him through the eyeball with his little spike thing. That would have been spike awesome. Thing. Uh, but he, you know, he was kind of anticipating the censors, the, uh, the MPAA, uh, and he changed his mind and kind of envisioned Clarence having the interface spike shoved through his chin, mouth, and upper jaw. Oh, that would have been like cool, too. I've seen an effect like that before. And then, you know, the, he thought that that might have been too much, too. So he finally kind of settled for what we get in the film version, where he gets stabbed in the neck. Um, and we get some squirty blood. Yeah, but it was altered slightly for the R-rated cut. And I don't know if I mentioned this, but we are watching the... I think I did mention it. We are watching yeah, the X-rated cut, or the unrated cut of this. Oh, so so originally it was lamer than that? Yes. Than what we saw? Yes. Oh, that sucks. Another robot fight. There are no stairs to go down. Ed 209, yay! I like Ed 209. Yeah, I like him too. He's kind of cute. I think it's kind of cute that he can't go downstairs. Yeah, he kind of walks like a chicken. <laughs> he does walk a bit like a chicken. But Robocop fucks him up, and when he dies, there's a little death twitch that I think is just so amazing here in in the scene where he dies here yeah you see his legs like come into frame here oh and then he falls over and his little leg or his little toe twitches oh yeah it's only his bottom half yeah um we don't get a pig squeal though anymore his face is gone yeah yeah. (laughs) so yeah we're here we're here right at the end of the movie and this is a great fucking ending right yeah no it's a good ending Again, uh, not because it's funny, but because it's a really, like it ties RoboCop's arc up very, very nicely. You know, the way he ends the movie with basically introducing himself as a human being and not not the commodity, you know, not Right, the, he calls himself Murphy. Right. So, um, according to Paul Verhoeven's commentary on this, the Criterion uh, version of the DVD, uh, there was another media break, another newscast mm. that was filmed and completed, but it, it, it what it was supposed to feature was footage of Lewis hospital, uh, hospitalized and recovering, assuring the audience that she did not die or would become what was rumored to be... Ooh, a female RoboCop? Bride of RoboCop. Bride of RoboCop. <laughs> of course, Bride of RoboCop, because the, we've got the... Right, I, I know. The Frankenstein, the Frankenstein right. thing yeah, going no, on in here, for sure. I get it. But and yeah. of course we do the callback we've heard many times the you know the whole thing about him having a memory and being able to to record things and play them back and and we see that paid off here at the very end of the movie. there's there's supposed to be a robocop statue that's going to go up in detroit at some point for real? but yeah but they've been talking about this thing for seriously like five years or something oh, wow. like that um, and I did see that they do have some stuff bronzed already. Like they've got the head finished or they've they, not finished, but they've at least got it bronzed. Why is it taking so long? Is it giant? It's, it's 12 feet tall. 
It's huge okay, and but expensive. But still, that's not like the, as big watch as... Watch the long-ass arms on this puppet. Oh, weird. Isn't that weird? It is weird. That hits my Uncanny Valley button yeah. in all the wrong ways. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this, this was, to be fair, this was a year out from Die Hard, where Hans Gruber falls out of the Nakatomi Plaza building in glorious slow-motion fashion. Um, also, rest in peace, Alan fucking Rickman, that 2016 also killed. Yeah, you're right. Fuck. Um... Uh, the way he does the twirl on the gun, I feel like is, I think that was a clever way to get that in as part of his, like to have it be something he, he did that his son liked to have your superhero robot twirling a gun in a ridiculous manner, but you have justification for it in the movie, right? right? There's justification that ties into his character and stuff. That's how you're going to do it. Just so you know. Ethos, pathos, or logos. What, for twirling your gun? Yeah, for like why that makes sense with the audience. Why that why why that is a the rhetorical choice to have your superhero twirl his gun. Um uh I uh does it It's pathos. Uh yeah, I I don't know. I mean, does I guess as an emotional response then? Yes, it is. It's an emotional response. That, that's what tie, that's But it is but it is logical though is what I was saying though. It ties it's it's also logical because it ties into his character. Yeah. Okay. All right. It's lo- there's a logical oh, okay. there's a logical uh, reason okay. for it. We're talking about it at two different levels. That's an interesting. Uh, that would be an interesting uh, thought experiment, is to to look at a choice like that and see like from a writing perspective, it is logistical that you make this emotional connection with the character. So it's not just he twirls a gun because it's cool. No, he right. twirls a gun because it's. Uh, it's pathological. It has to do with right. With it has to do with an emotional response because of his family. So it depends on with what lens you're kind of viewing that. Action. If you're looking at it not at the writer's lens and you're just looking, I don't want to talk about the rhetorical reason for. <laughs> I can get my my freshman comp students to do that next semester oh. if you think that they should talk about the sure. rhetorical choice. Show of, them Robocop of why it's a, Robo, it's a good Robocop twirls his gun. It's a gun. good reason to show Robocop in a, in a college classroom. Not that you need one. <laughs> just just saying anything else that we have to talk about before we're done with this movie I don't I had a ton there are a ton of fucking bits of trivia on this if you want to see all the trivia for this just go to the IMDB page because that's where I get most of that shit from um, but there is a ton of it uh, great movie I really love it you don't like it as much and I don't I don't dislike it and, and I think okay. talking about it more has made me like it a little more um, I think I think or at least appreciate it more. Appreciate it more. And I recognize that this movie is doing everything that it wants to do. It has succeeded sure. in all of the goals it's trying to meet. I just don't come away wanting to watch it again. Okay. That's how I feel about it. That's fair. Well, that'll bring us to uh, to the end of another episode of the Popcorn Poops podcast. As always, you can find us on our website at popcornpoops.com. You can subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher. Follow us on, on Twitter and Facebook where you can receive updates about the show, including our weekly movie still identification game. Uh, go participate in that with us. It's a whole lot of fun. We also do polls and things like that, so you can vote in the polls. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty active place. I mean, not super active, but... With you, the participation of our dear poopling, it can become a much more active place than it has That's been. True. Um, we also have individual uh, Twitter accounts. I am at Dusty Cram Cram. I'm at J Casper Kramer. We have a merch shop on our website, popcornpoops.com. Uh, you can click the shop button uh, on the banner, and uh, you you will be able to buy stuff. 
that's pretty simple. Yeah. You spend your money on t-shirts and buttons. Or and you a, click on the donut card. button. Or you click on the donut button <laughs> and you give us just straight up money. Uh, and as always, you can actually, uh, you can sign up for a free trial at audibletrial.com slash popcornpoops where you will receive a free audiobook that's yours to keep whether or not you continue with your trial after it has expired. Uh, every single week on our show, we like to highlight a friend of the show, which we uh, so affectionately call our Pooh Pals. Uh, and this week, we are we would like to bring your attention to a little show called the In Session Film Podcast. Uh, they're a great bunch of guys over there. And if you'll stick around after the show for a few words from them, uh, we, and I'm sure they uh, as well, would appreciate it. If you would like to become a Pooh Pal, if you're a podcaster, webcomic artist, YouTuber, or any kind of content creator and are interested in becoming one of our, our beloved Pooh Pals, we will give you shout outs on our podcast and on social media. Please contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or email us at contact at popcornpoops.com. Uh, next week, next month, what's going on? What are we doing? Well, it's a new month. It is a new and month. And you know what a new month means? It means a new theme. It means a new theme. Well, since April was my birthday month and that was hashtag 1987 month, can you guess what next month will be? Next month is... It's my birthday. It is your birthday. And I was born in 1986. That's right. Which means... Which means you're turning 30 this year. No, 29 for the second time. (laughs) I can turn 30, I guess. So your birthday is May 13th. That's right. So all throughout the month... All throughout the month, we are doing hashtag 1986 month. So tweet and it out, do all that kind of stuff. Tell us what you want us to, to cover, although we've already picked the movie. So yeah, I'm going to be honest, guys. Really, it's, yeah, you'll just be guessing, really. Um, uh, we're kicking things off with Jim Henson's film Labyrinth. Awesome. Rest in peace, David Bowie. I'm sure we'll be talking about that. And uh, I guess that does it for this week. So until next time, take care. Bye-bye. We are the Popcorn Poops. Hey guys, this is JD from the In Session Film Podcast. Every week on our show, you can join my co-host Brendan and I as we review the latest films that's out in theaters. It also inspires us to discuss a top three list of some sort, and we have a lot of other fun movie discussions as well. It's always a blast. And we also have a show on Fridays called our Extra Film Podcast. This is a show that gives us the space to talk about the latest indies and art films and other classics that we normally just don't get to talk about on our main show. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, Player FM, and more. In fact, you can just see everything about us, including our social medias at InCessionFilm.com. So join us every week. We'd absolutely love to have you.